Good to be with you this morning. If you have your Bible with you, turn or click to Acts chapter 27. We'll also be in Exodus chapter 3, Matthew 16 and 7, but we'll start in Acts chapter 27. Going to continue uh, this morning in our, our series called Anchored. And you know, the big idea behind this series was, or the inspiration rather, was a few weeks ago when I was out fishing at Clinton Lake. And I hooked what I thought was a big fish, and I reeled and I fought and I reeled it in, and what I thought was a big fish was a giant log. And I was disappointed, I was discouraged, and in the midst of being disappointed and discouraged, I got distracted. And after becoming distracted, I looked up and realized I was drifting. My, my boat motor had died, and the wind was blowing. It was pushing me up against the rocks, and the Lord began reminding me about this very passage. Acts chapter 27, verse 13, what says, a gentle south wind began to blow and they saw their opportunity. So they weighed anchor and sailed along the shore of Crete. Now the apostle Paul is on this ship. He's had his radical conversion experience. He's gone from being Saul of Tarsus, persecuting the Christian church, even to the point of death. He's encountered the gospel of Jesus. It's radically transformed him. Now he's an apostle of the faith being used of God mightily to strengthen the church and lay the foundations for the New Testament church that now you and I are a part of. But we find him here in this passage being delivered by ship to stand trial for his faith. And it says they're sailing along and before very long, verse 14, a wind of hurricane force called the Northeaster swept down from the island and the ship was caught by the storm, could not head into the wind. Catch this next part. It says, so we gave way to it. They ran into opposition. They ran into an opposing wind. And instead of persevering through it, it says we gave way to it and we let ourselves be driven along. In other words, they were drifting. And I found myself out on Clinton Lake and my boat was drifting. I had, again, I'd become disappointed and, and distracted and discouraged. And I looked up and I was drifting and I realized I had drifted to a dangerous place. And what started as a, as a relaxing time of fishing out on the lake turned into, as I was drifting, a very dangerous, stressful moment. My boat pushed against the rocks, the winds battering the side of the boat. The motor wouldn't start. I'm dealing with the mess. I'm dealing with the confusion, the stress, and the discouragement. And the Lord began speaking to me, people of God, hear me. He began showing me that that in the spiritual realm, in, in our spiritual life, in our faith journey, in the same way and even a greater way that I, would, I had practically experienced the danger of drifting, there's a danger to spiritually drifting. And the Lord began to just highlight some ways that in this season where things have been interrupted and, and our patterns have, have been changed, things that once were, were convenient now really require some real conviction to, 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 to continue to worship God and stay connected to God's people and he began to show me in my own life some of the ways that I had begun to spiritually drift. And I'm so thankful. He just began to speak to me and said, there's a danger in drifting, son. And listen, it's true. As a couple, you don't wake up overnight on the brink of divorce. You drift to that dangerous place. You don't wake up fully addicted in the throes of addiction. You drift to that dangerous place. You rarely drift to your desired destination. And the Lord began to just speak to me and say, this is a time, there's some storms, there's some waves, there's some wind, and this is a time for the people of God. Come on, that's you and that's me. 
to be in a fresh way, in a new way, in a more determined and committed way than we maybe ever have been before because of what we're up against and going through to be anchored to the promises of God, the presence of God, the people of God, and the purposes of God. You almost never drift to your desired destination. Every great life of faith, every great marriage, come on, great marriages are not the ones that don't experience challenges or opportunities to, that, to give in to that voice that says you married the wrong person and you're never gonna make it. Mar great marriages are not ones that don't experience those kind of that kind of adversity. Great marriages are ones that say we're gonna anchor ourselves on the promises of God for our life. We're gonna go into the presence of God and find his grace to overcome the challenges. We're gonna stay connected to the people of God who can come around us and testify of God's faithfulness when they went through some, a similar challenge and they can come around us and strengthen us, pray for us, hold our hands, cry with us, encourage us, call on us, check on us, help us to make it through the storm to the other side. It's a time for the people of God to be anchored to the presence of God, the promises of God, the people of God. Hear me, this is not a time, this is not a day and an hour for lukewarm, casual Christianity. This is a time for the people of God to really say, who am I, what do I believe, and where am I, where am I anchored to? When you're anchored to God's word, when you're anchored to God's presence, the winds might come and blow and you might get blown a little bit this direction or this direction, but when you're anchored to the firm foundation of Jesus Christ, you'll always come back to center. In verse 29, it says, fearing that we would be dashed by the rocks, they dropped four anchors from the stern. Four anchors, and I've challenged us with some of those things. I've tried to put them in groupings of four that God's called us to live a life of priority, pursuit, passion, and perseverance. That every great life of faith, every great marriage, every great family, every great business, every great endeavor, every great, every championship sports team. Listen, it happens by God's grace, but it never happens by accident. It always happens because the power of de determination and dedication, the power of decision. There's power in a quality decision that just says something the way that Joshua modeled it for us in Joshua chapter 24. He said, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. If it seems right to you, if it's not pleasing to you to serve God, if you wanna continue to serve the God of the Euphrates or the God of this land that we find ourselves in, then so be it for you. But as for me and as for my family, we will serve the Lord. There's an anchor to a powerful decision, a quality determined decision to say, this is who we are. In the midst of the waves, in the midst of the storms, the uncertainty, all the opinions and preferences, the culture of the world, in the midst of all that, this is what we believe and who we are and this is what we stand for. A life of priority, pursuit, passion for God, perseverance, staying connected again to those four Ps, God's presence, his promises, his people, his purposes running the race that God has marked out before us with perseverance, our eyes fixed on Jesus, who was the author and the perfecter of our faith, anchored to him. Hebrews 6, 19 says, we have this hope as an anchor for our soul, firm and secure. Another translation of that same scripture says, this hope is a strong and trustworthy anchor for our souls. And listen, I've encouraged us that the word of God wouldn't say it this way if God didn't realize that at some point in your faith journey, you weren't going to need to see it this way. 
In other words, there are going to be times, there's a possibility, and that's maybe even a probability, there are going to be things that are going to come and try to distract you or disappoint you or discourage you to cause you to drift from your faith. And he's saying, you hang on, you hold on. Jesus and his hope and his life and his freedom, what he did, everything that he made possible, that's the anchor. That's the only anchor that will keep you from being battered against the rocks and, and being blown against the shore. That's the anchor of our soul. It's firm and secure is your hope in Jesus Christ today. Is he the anchor for your life? I mean, really ask yourself today, is he the anchor for your marriage? Are there some places where you've begun to spiritually drift? Are there some places where you, look, you would look up today and say, if I was honest with myself and if I was honest with God, I am in a dangerous place. I didn't intend to get here, but I got disappointed. I got distracted. I became discouraged. I've, I've drifted from the presence of God. I've drifted from my commitment to be in the promises of God, which are found in his word. I, I've drifted from connection with the people of God, and I've drifted from the purposes of God, the thing that he's called me to put my hands to, and I'm looking up now, and I'm in a dangerous place. Listen, if that's you today, you need to be encouraged that when God reveals something to you, it's always, it's always, hear me, because he wants to heal something in you. And there's hope, there's hope. That's what it says, this hope, this hope, this hope. Come on, as long as you're breathing and as long as Jesus is alive and well and on the throne, there's hope for your life. You are never too far gone to begin to say, Lord, bring me back to that place. Lord, take me back to that place. Lord, I call upon your name. And the word says that his arm is never too short that he cannot save. If you find yourself today, come on, in any area of life, your marriage, your family, your finances, up against the shore, being battered and beaten by the waves and the wind, call upon the name of the Lord today and be saved. We have this hope as an anchor for our soul. We're experiencing some storms. And listen, now is a time more than ever for the people of God to be anchored. To be anchored. Come on, are we really anchored in him? And, and these storms, these waves, these winds, maybe they're revealing some things in us. Again, God doesn't reveal something to shame us or, or beat us up with it. He always does it because he just wants to heal it in us. He wants to bring us back, get us back on track. Come on, the life that he made possible for you and I to live the life that he desires for you and I to live. He's just saying, come on, son, daughter, come back to me. Get back on track. We're experiencing some storms. Now's the time to be anchored to Jesus. Listen, last week I encouraged you with a message that I really believe is one of the most powerfully important messages for you to hold on to. I mean to hold on to, and that is your identity in Christ Jesus, who Jesus made possible by his shed blood, his death, burial, and resurrection for you as a woman of God, for you as a man of God, for you as a young person to be and to become. The enemy is always trying to keep you anchored to who you once were. Jesus came to restore, rescue, and redeem you to who he makes possible for you to be as a new creation with all the old things passed away, a new life, a fresh start, being born again into his kingdom. Your identity in Christ, because the enemy's gonna come and he lies. He deceives, he comes and he gets in your ear and he says, who are you to trust God? Who, is, who, who do you think you are to believe that God is gonna protect you and provide for you and direct you? And when the enemy comes, I, I, I challenged you that you need to know your identity in Christ. And today I wanna encourage you that equally as important and perhaps even more important is understanding who God is. Who God is. That this is the most important question that you'll ever answer. It resonates for all eternity. Who is Jesus to you? That it's important to know our identity, but the only reason that we are who we are in Christ is because of who he is.
And listen, who you are in Christ is amazing. One of the reasons that humility is so important in the life of a believer, come on, that's you and that's me, is because of just how powerful, just how awesome, just how anointed, just how much authority. We sing about that this morning, that God wants to entrust to you and and release to you and see you begin to operate in. We've got to be humble because God made such, God made a way through Jesus Christ for us to be amazing and awesome, filled with power, filled with authority. And, And I read it last week, but it deserves to be repeated over your life today. And I just begin to just type and just document just a few of the things that I remembered in my spirit that God's word says about how you, how, who you and I are in him. And listen to this. This is for you today. This is, these are just a few of the things that God's word has to say about who you are in him. You are a child of God, created in his image. You're the first and not the last. You're the head and not the tail. You are chosen and you are loved. You're his dearly beloved. You're the apple of his eye. You are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus who gives you the victory. You're blessed when you're coming and you're blessed when you're going. You're blessed in the city and you're blessed in the country. He no longer calls you a servant, but he now calls you a friend. Come on, this is for you. Look at your neighbor if you're sitting by someone or if you're with someone at home online and just look at him and say, this is you. He's talking about you. He's describing you. This is what's possible for you because of who Jesus is and what he made possible for you. And some of you, I just feel like God wanted to just say that, remind you, because it resonates maybe for someone else, but not for you because of where you've been or what you've gone through or what you've done. And I'm telling you today, because of the blood of Jesus Christ, this is who you are. And it's an anchor to hold on to in the midst of the storm. He no longer calls you a servant, but a friend. As you trust and obey him and seek him and serve him, the Bible says that everything, say everything, that you put your hands to shall prosper. You're an ambassador of the highest kingdom representing the king of all kings. You're a co-heir with Christ. You're part of the family of God. You will one day rule and reign with him. The Bible says you are sealed with his spirit. You are called by his name. You are a new creation in Christ Jesus. All the former things have passed away. The joy of the Lord is your strength. You, according to God's word, are his treasure. You're his workmanship, his craftsmanship. The Bible says that this way, you're his masterpiece. You're a chosen generation. You're a royal priesthood. You've been raised to life with Christ and seated in heavenly places. You've been given the mind of Christ. You are the light of the world. And in Christ, you have every spiritual blessing. You can do all things through Christ who strengthens you. You're an overcomer. You are victorious. In fact, so victorious that the Bible says that you are more than a conqueror. Nothing, yes, nothing, not fear, darkness, no person, no demon, no sickness, no death. Come on, no coronavirus, not even death itself will ever separate you from the love of God in Christ Jesus. That's who you are in him. And that's just a partial list. That's just a partial list. And listen, we we see the Apostle Paul in, in Acts chapter 27. Modeling this, we see how critically important it is to know who you are in God when you find yourself in the midst of a storm. And in verse 23, the same chapter, Acts chapter 27, he says, Last night, an angel of the God to whom I belong and whom I serve stood beside me. The God to whom I belong and whom I serve. Paul's saying right there, he's speaking it out loud. He's hearing it. Faith is coming by hearing and hearing by his own words. He's saying, I belong to God and I serve God. And that God, not any God, not just some idea or concept of a God, not some just figment of my imagination, the God to whom I belong and whom I serve came alongside me. And he said in verse 24, do not be afraid, Paul. You must stand trial before Caesar. In other words, your purpose is greater than your storm. And God has graciously given you, speaking to Paul, the lives of all who sail with you. So watch what he says in verse 25. 
He's acknowledged who he is. I belong to God and I serve God. That's my identity, even in the midst of the storm. But watch what he says in verse 25. He says, keep up your courage, men, for I have faith in God, that it will happen just as he told me. In the middle of the storm, Paul's reminding himself of who he is in Christ, but in this verse, verse 25, he's reminding himself of who God is. My God is faithful. My God is good. His promises are yes and amen. Even when there's adversity, even when there's a storm, I am aware and secure. There's an anchor for my soul and it is who my God is. He will not be defeated. He will not change. He cannot be moved. He is the King of kings and the Lord of lords and he holds my life in his hands. And someone ought to say amen. As important as it was for him to know who he was in Christ, we can't know who we are in Christ unless we have the right perspective of who Jesus is. Now, right now, turn, back, turn to Matthew chapter 16, just a few books back in the New Testament. And I wanna show you what I believe is the most important question you'll ever answer in your entire life. The way you answer this question resonates for eternity. And Jesus comes to his disciples, Matthew chapter 16, verse 13 through 17. And it says, when Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say that the son of man is? Who do people say that I am? And they replied and they said, well, some say John the Baptist and others say Elijah. Still others say Jeremiah or one of the prophets. In other words, in the culture of our day, there are a variety of opinions about who Jesus is. And he says, what about you? What about you? What about you in the midst of the cultural variance of opinions and perspectives and ideas about who God is and about who Jesus is? Who do you say that I am? And Simon Peter answered. And he said, you are the Messiah the son of the living God. And Jesus replied and said, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my father in heaven. And I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not overcome it. Come on, that's good news. Someone ought to say amen. Here's the secret, the rock wasn't Peter. The rock wasn't Peter because, listen, if you've read enough of the Bible, you know this about Peter. Peter, one day he was in, the next day he was out, he was up, he was down. He had a tendency to put his foot in his mouth and say the wrong things. Peter was anything but a rock. And I can appreciate that Jesus is kind of affirming and giving Peter an attaboy because of all the times that Peter had blown it before. But the rock was not a man, the rock was a revelation. On this rock, the revelation that's inspired by the Holy Spirit and affirmed by the word of God about who Jesus is, catch this, in the midst of a culture who sees him in so many different ways, a religious figure, a social a, a justice warrior, a, a good man, a prophet, whatever, the world has all these opinions about Jesus. Who do you say that he is? On this rock, I'll build my church, the revelation of who I am, I, that Jesus is the Christ, the Messiah, the spotless lamb of God who came to take away the sin of the world, to pay the price we could not pay, to make a way that we might have a new life and a fresh start, a relationship that transcends religion, restored to God, our heavenly father. That's who Jesus is. Getting this in a way that transcends what the world has to say is an anchor for your soul. 
when the world comes and says this and this and that, preferences, opinions, ideas, ideologies, accusations, doubts, questions, concerns. In the midst of that storm, I say, I know who Jesus is. And it's not because flesh and blood revealed it to me. It's not because it's popular opinion of the day. It's because I've experienced, I've encountered, and I know it to be true. Jesus is my Lord, my Savior, my rock, my shield, my fortress, my strong tower, my defense. In him I trust he is the anchor for my soul. The rock wasn't Peter, the rock was a revelation. And listen, so Matthew chapter 16 is where you're at. Turn back to Matthew chapter seven. And just watch how Jesus connects these. He said, on this rock, I will build my church. And listen, anytime, in times of cultural chaos and calamity and despair and decay, God builds something to protect his righteous ones, those who are called by his name. In the days of Noah, what did he build? He built an ark and he preserved people. In this, in this season, God says, Jesus says, I'm building my church. And those who run into my church, which is being built on the revelation of who I really am, those people will be saved. And then look what he says in Matthew chapter 7. He says in verse 24, Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who what? Built his house. On what? The rock. The revelation of who Jesus really is in spite of what the world has to say about who he is. It's an anchor for your life. It's an anchor for your marriage. It's an anchor for your health. It's an anchor for your family. When the winds blow, when the storms rage, when when things begin to seem like and feel like they're getting out of control, we are anchored because we know our God and we know who our faith is placed in. All right, now turn to Exodus chapter three. And while you're turning there, Exodus chapter three, which is the accounting of God introducing himself to Moses in a personal way. We're gonna look into this and find out how God chooses to introduce himself to Moses, the characteristics, the nature of how he, he desires himself to be known. In the midst of all the stuff, all the, the opinions, all the ideas, listen, dude, you, it's important how you see God. And listen, how we see God doesn't alter or change who he really is but it affects our ability to receive and relate to him. Let me say that again. Who, how we see God doesn't change who he is, but it affects our ability to relate to him and receive from him. And how many of you would agree that even in the church, there's a lot of different ideas about how God is seen? I mean, really, I mean, some of us, I really believe, maybe have had some things that have been sewn into our life about how we see God, his nature his characteristics, even from religious circles that maybe don't quite line up with what the word of God says or who he really is. How we see God matters. Life experiences that we've been through can shape and affect, create a lens on our spirit of how we see God, his true nature and his character, who he really is. And listen, it's just true. There's so many opinions and ideas about about how Jesus even looks. Recently, I heard a comedian, he was talking about how he's traveled all, he was a Christian comedian, he's saying, I travel all over the United States, and he said, I've noticed something that different regions of the country have different perspectives about how Jesus looked physically, different portrayals, different portraits. Like when I go to certain places, like in the Northeast, there, he's kind of iconic and religious looking, you know, rigid and, and iconic and religious. And, and when I go to the West Coast, 
There's West Coast sporty Jesus. He has kind of a shorter, cool haircut and a nicely trimmed goatee. He's tanned and ripped with six-pack abs. And it really is true. There's just different ways that we see Jesus. And I came across this. I was just Googling, looking at some of that artwork, and I came across this. It made me laugh. I thought it would show it to you. This is kind of unfortunate. This is a portrayal of what the Last Supper might look like if it happened today in quarantine season. Can you guys, can you put that up for us? Can you guys see that? Maybe put it up on this screen over here as well, if you can. Okay, it's, it's, it's Jesus and his disciples having the Last Supper conducted via a Zoom meeting. Can you make that out now through that screen? And if you look really close, look down there low in the center, can you see Jesus has a, a, a bottle of hand sanitizer next to him right there? Can you see that? Isn't that unfortunate? <laughs> Listen, who, how many of you will, wouldn't care if you never have another Zoom meeting in all your life after this is over, amen? Listen, how we see Jesus matters. How we see Jesus matters. It doesn't change who he is, but it changes our ability. It affects our ability to be able to relate to him and receive from him. And there are even religious perspectives from well-intended people. Listen, some of us were raised in churches where God was viewed as angry towards us. Some of us were raised in churches where it was, it was you, were, you were closer to God, kind of the poorer and plainer you could live your life. Some of us were raised in churches that, that represented God as this boring prude of a God, you know? Like, God forbid that you would ever have fun, and, and, and you know, God forbid you would ever laugh in church, or God forbid that he comes back when you happen to be watching a PG-13 movie for one time in your life, you know, like you, you, God is ready to just like zap you or strike you with a lightning bolt. Listen, these are perspectives that can influence our ability to relate to God. And you'll only get as close to God. Hear me, this is why this is, why this is critically important. Understanding what, again, he said, flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father in heaven, the Holy Spirit has shown you who I really am. That's something that you have to get for yourself. And we have all these influences and perspectives and opinions, but only you can spend time in the word of God and the presence of God and begin to find out who he really is to you. Flesh and blood didn't reveal this to you. You'll only get as close to God. Hear me, people of God. You'll only get as close to God. I mean, intimately close to him as your perspective of him allows you to. If you see him as far off and uncaring and unfair, you'll only trust him to the degree that your perspective of who he really is, if you believe he's unfair and far off, can I really trust him? Does he really want to provide for me? Does he really delight, like his word says, in my prosperity as his servant? If you don't see him that way, you can never fully know him or trust him. Blessed are you, Simon, because flesh and blood hasn't shown you this, but my Father in heaven has revealed to you. And look, are you there? did I already have you turn to Exodus chapter three? Are you there in Exodus chapter three? And listen, God's introducing himself to Moses. God's introducing himself to Moses. And I want you to think about this. They have no Bible. They have no Bible. All they have is the verbal accounts of God's interactions with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Moses is about to write the first books, first five books of the Bible. And that's where we pick it up, Exodus chapter three. And it says, now Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian. By the way, I just think it's interesting how God is attracted to shepherds, people who are willing to be behind the scenes tending the flock with Moses and with David. I think it's because God just is attracted to someone who cares for people. 
And he says, Moses was tending the flock, the priest of Midian. He led the flock to the far side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. And there the angel of the Lord appeared to him in flames of fire from within a bush. And Moses saw that, that though the bush was on fire, it did not burn up. So Moses thought, I will go over and see this strange sight while the bush does not burn up. And I just wonder if there's some ways that God is trying to get your attention. If there's some ways that God's trying to speak to you, he's trying to get your attention and maybe you've been disappointed and maybe you've been discouraged, maybe you've been distracted. He's, he's revealing himself to Moses. And, and look, it says that when, when the Lord saw that, that he had gone over to take a look, the Lord noticed that Moses was responding. Moses was breaking through the busyness of his life and the busyness of his day, the distractions and disappointments. And Moses is going over to God. He said, I got to go check out. I got to listen to what God is trying to speak to me. And he says, when, when the Lord saw he'd gone over to take a look, God called to him from within the bush, Moses, Moses. And Moses said, here I am. And he said, do not come any closer. Take off your sandals for the place where you are standing is holy ground. And listen right there, I'm grateful for the convenience that we have of the Bible so readily accessible on our phones and our devices and displayed up on the screens. But I was reading this and the Lord just spoke to me and just said, there's something about maybe this being restored back to our lives and to the church of Jesus Christ. This, this holy reverence for God, this, this not taking too casually the opportunity, not the obligation, the opportunity to open up God's word really and meet with the God of all creation who created the earth, the moon and the sun and the stars and who still desires to know me and call me by name. Listen, if you don't take anything away from this, maybe some of you just take that away. Like maybe there's a tomorrow morning or even tonight as you lay down in your bed or tomorrow morning when you rise, there's just a fresh perspective about the posture with which you open up God's word. And you realize I'm meeting with the living God. I'm not checking off a religious punch list. I'm opening up my word and I'm saying, God, this is a living, active, breathing word of God inspired by the living God who holds my life in the palm of his hand and I'm here to meet with you. Would you speak to me? And this is holy ground. This is a holy moment. This is a sanctified moment. Listen, it can happen in your easy chair. It can happen in your car. It can happen in your shower, wherever it's about the posture of your heart. I'm not checking a religious box. I'm meeting with God. And he says, this place is holy ground. And, and he goes on, God speaking to Moses, and he said, I'm the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. And the Lord just spoke to me in this. Remember, they don't have the Bible. All they have is the verbal accounts of how God had spoken generation to generation. And the Lord just began to challenge me as I was reading this, just challenging me personally and saying, God forbid if the Bibles were confiscated and burned and the technology was disconnected and the Sunday schools were closed, what would your children say about me? only on account of the way you had lived your life out in front of them. He says, I'm the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and in God Moses' attention because generation to generation to generation to generation, they had told about the faithfulness, about the provision, about the protection and about the direction of God. And it gets Moses' attention. I'm not just any God, I'm the God who's been faithful generation to generation. I'm the God of your ancestors, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Come on, he's the, he's the God. If my kids were visited by God again, Sunday school's closed, the Bible stripped away. If God visited them, would, they, would God be able to say, I'm the God of Thomas and Amity. I'm the God of Woody and Marla. 
I'm the God of Gary and Julie. I'm the God of Ronnie and Sabrina. And would it get your kids' attention? Would they say, that's a God we know. That's a God we know. Because our parents have told us. Because grandma and grandpa, they told us. They pulled us in their lap and they told us. It wasn't all good, it wasn't all roses, but that's part of the story that God was faithful even in the midst of their weakness. Faithful to provide, faithful to direct, faithful to protect. He says, that's the God I am, the God of your fathers. And the Lord reading on verse seven, he says, I've seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I've heard them crying out. He's, he's revealing his character and his nature. Again, he's, he's introducing himself personally to Moses. And he says, I care, I see, I hear, I'm concerned. I hear their cries. I see your, your moments. I see your dark seasons. I see your dark hour. And he says in verse eight, I've come to rescue. I've come to rescue. I've heard and I care and I come to rescue them from the hand of the Egyptians, to bring them out of a dark place, of a bad place, of a place of bondage, of a place of fear, of a place of addiction, of a place of user. I wanna bring them out, deliver them to a new place. He's revealing his character to Moses. A land flowing with milk and honey, a good and spacious land, the home of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, the Jebusites, and the mosquito bites. And now the cry of the Israelites has reached me. I see the way that the Egyptians are oppressing them. So now go, I'm sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, to bring the Israelites out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, who am I? But who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? And watch what God's response is. And it's the response of God to you today if you have this same question. But who am I, Pastor T? But who am I? Watch what God says. He says, I will be with you. And it still doesn't convince Moses reading on verse 13. He says, but suppose I go to the Israelites and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me. And they ask, what is his name? Then what shall I tell them? And God said to Moses, I am who I am. That is what you would say. I am has sent me to you. And God says to Moses, reading on, almost done, verse 15, say to the Israelites, the Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, he has sent me to you. And watch what he says. This is powerfully important. Grab onto this today. This is my name forever. The name you shall call me from generation to generation. What is the name? I am. Moses is dealing with the insecurity, the insignificance, but who am I, God? And then he says, suppose I go, and that, if you translated that into modern language, it would say, what if? And all of us, each of us is familiar with these challenges that the enemy brings into our life. But Lord, who am I and what will they say? What if it doesn't go the way that I think it's gonna go? What if I step out in faith? What if I call on your name? Who am I and what if? God says in the midst of the insecurity, in the midst of the, lies about insignificance in the midst of the question, the doubt, what, how will it go? He says, I am. Would you stand to your feet today? Stand to your feet and just stand in a posture of responding to God today. And listen, I just, I feel like there's a few things that the Lord really wants to do in our hearts today as we prepare to dismiss. And one is to set any of us free who maybe have a, an improper view, an improper lens, an improper perspective about who God really is 
that maybe was introduced to us even through well-intending people or through circumstances in life. And look at Exodus 34, where God's continuing to introduce himself. This is, he's about to help them see who he really is. This is God himself sharing his attributes. This is God himself introducing himself, saying this is, this is who I really am, and watch what it says. Come on, catch this today. Catch this today. Open up your heart to receive this today. That in the midst of, of, of all the opinions, all the perspectives, some people say you're this, some people say you're this, some people say you're this. Who do you say that I am? This is God saying who he is, and watch what he says. It says the Lord descended in the cloud, stood with him there, with him once again, he's with you, he's with you. Look at your neighbor, say he's with you and proclaimed the name of the Lord. The Lord passed before him and proclaimed the Lord, the Lord God, watch, these are his attributes. He, he's saying who he is, merciful and gracious. Long suffering, another translation says, I'm slow to anger. Maybe some of you are raised where God is just, he's angry, he's just looking to get you. Well, God, God says, I'm, I'm slow to anger. I, I, I'm, I'm merciful, I'm gracious, I'm long-suffering. Read on, God's introducing himself. This is who I am. This is who I am. Abounding in goodness, abounding in truth, keeping mercy for thousands, come on, unto thousand generations, God's word says. Forgiving iniquity, forgiving transgression, forgiving sin all the while, by no means turning a blind eye to sin because he's just. That's who he is. And so the question, do you have a filter that causes you to see or perceive God differently than the way he would introduce himself to you today if he was standing before you today? And if you do, is it possible that it's kept you from really knowing him deeply, trusting him fully? And if that's you, just get real with God. Just say, God, yes, I, I, I believe I have seen you differently than what that sounds like you are something that was taught to me, something that was modeled to me, or life experiences that I've gone through. Real problems, real challenges, real adversity, maybe things that you didn't expect to go this way. But I really appreciate that the Word of God is filled with people who really had real problems, real challenges, real adversity, real things that didn't go the way that they thought they were gonna go, but they were willing to turn to a real God who offers real hope and real forgiveness and real redemption and real restoration. We have this hope as an anchor for our soul. Listen, if that's you, just, just, just do business with God right there where you are. Lord, help me to begin to just see you differently. Thank you for coming in and just showing me, revealing to me what's in me so that you can heal this in me. Help me to see you through the lens of who you really are. Help me to not be affected by the ways that the world, what it has to say about who you are. Help me to see you because of an inspired revelation from the Holy Spirit of God that's affirmed by the Word of God. And he said, I am. And the other group of people that I wanna to minister to, in fact, it's all of us today, is what, what do you need in your life? Where's there a void in your life? Where's there a challenge in your life? The first way that God introduced himself, and he said, this is my name forever to all generations. This is how I shall be known. What is that name? I am. You need peace? He says, I am. You need hope? He says, I am. 
You need the grace to forgive that loved one or that spouse. He says, I am. You need provision, I am. You need protection, I am. You need healing in your mind, he says, I am. You need reconciliation in your family, he says, I am. He's the great I am. And the world, when the world goes through something, the world turns to something. But not you and not me, not as the people of God. The world turns to something, we turn to someone and his name is Jesus Christ and he is the great I am. You can fill in the blank. You can fill in the blank. Whatever you need, he is. I just challenge you, think of one thing that he's not willing and able. It doesn't mean that we always turn to him. And that's the point of ministry. Where's the place where you've turned and filled the void with something instead of someone? Ask yourself, come on. I mean, let's not just let this moment pass us by. Let's really grab a hold of what God's trying to do in our lives. And trust that as we get real with God, it's gonna really help us in a new way to be anchored to Him. Where's the place where maybe you've turned to something or maybe even the wrong someone? He says, I am. I am your peace. I am your hope. I am your joy. I am your strength. I am your healing. I am your provision. I am your protection. I am your direction. I am your wisdom. I am your grace. I am your mercy. I am your strength. Thank you, Lord, for that. Just receive it today. And, and, and right there where you are, just begin. If there's something especially that the Lord's highlighted to you that you need, just say, you are. You are. That's the way we would respond to it. He says, I am. We say, you are. You are my peace. Those things in those places I've been turning, looking for that, and it's a peace that's fleeting. I'm turning myself to you because you are an anchor of peace. You are. You are my provision. Come on, people of God, right where you are, discover your voice. Begin to speak it out. Begin to declare it out. You are my provision. You are my healing. Thank you, Lord, for that. And listen, before we worship and dismiss, if you're here in this room or you're joining with us online and you're far from God today, maybe you've become disappointed, discouraged, distracted, drifting from God. Listen, if that's you, whether you're here in this room or joining us online, we believe that you're here not by any accident, but because of the Holy Spirit of God drawing you to a good heavenly Father who sent Jesus to rescue you and restore you. He didn't send Jesus to just amend or correct bad Christian behavior. He sent Jesus to rescue his sons and daughters out of bondage into a new life that the Bible describes so powerfully as even an opportunity to be born again as a new creation. If that's you, respond right now to Jesus. Say, that's me, I'm coming home to Jesus. That's me, and I, 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 what's, what's most important is what's happening in your heart. But I believe it's important to just begin to respond. This is just a small way. Lifting, the lifting of your hands towards God is a out, small outward expression, a small way to say what's happening in my heart, I'm gonna begin to live out through my life. Thank you, Lord. Listen, if you're raising your hand here or online, we're gonna pray this with you. And we do it every week and we do it by design because one, it shows the people who are responding that there's a church family called Rev City Church that wants to come alongside people and encourage them and strengthen them and affirm them and walk with them in their new or fresh faith journey with Jesus. And two, it's because even as we are growing in our faith, becoming more mature in our faith, moving forward in our faith, come on, let's not get stuck. But even as we're doing those things, we realize that we never graduate from grace. We still need Jesus as much today as we ever have, amen? So come on, let's pray this with everything we have. Repeat after me, Father, in Jesus' name,
I recognize my need for a Savior. And I thank you for sending Jesus to pay the price I could not pay, to make a way that I might have a new life and a fresh start. I give you that life. I give you my trust. And because of Jesus, because of the cross of Jesus, come on, say it with everything you have, I'll never be the same. I'll never be the same. And would you rejoice with all of heaven for the people who responded to Jesus today?